Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, supporters of the Green New Deal praise the destitution inflicted by the government response to the pandemic coronavirus. Government worker unions and state government interest advocates try to use the crisis to shore up already broken state finances. And we debunk a supposed prudential conservative case for the power of big labor. As of April 23rd, when I'm recording this, over 26 million Americans have filed for unemployment as a result of government-ordered business closures related to the outbreak of pandemic novel coronavirus. Most people either grade at the suspension of their human right to make a living or accept the intrusion as necessary to protect public health. But one group is praising the sudden and total interruption of 21st century human life, radical environmentalists who support programs like the Green New Deal. Don't take my word for it. Take it from self-described eco-socialist Eric Holthouse. He tweeted, quote, This, that is, the disruption to human life caused by the pandemic coronavirus, is what rapid, far-reaching, and unprecedented changes in all aspects of society looks like. And while Holthouse isn't rooting for the virus, his statements reminds us that just to meet the targets for carbon emission reductions in the Paris Climate Accords, the Western industrialized countries like the United States have had to shut down their economies nearly totally and induce a self-inflicted economic depression. Meanwhile, left-wing U.S. representative and Green New Deal sponsor Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez praised the collapse in May oil futures contracts. How oil is bought and sold is complicated, so it's not like you're getting free gasoline at the pump, and suggested that it was a key opportunity to replace conventional energy sources with environmentalist ones. The Sunrise Movement, the radical left group that proposed the Green New Deal, suggested the pricing anomaly was, quote, our chance to publicly own oil and gas companies. While Green New, Deals and Green New Dealers and other eco-socialists talk about a just transition for workers in aviation, transportation, resource extraction, motor vehicle manufacturing, trucking, other heavy industry, and who knows how many other sectors of the economy, the details are sketchy or pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking. And so the truth of the Green New Deal becomes clear. It is, in the words of a critic, U.S. Senator Mitch McConnell, a radical top-down socialist makeover of the entire U.S. economy. Or, in the words of supported, supportive radical left activist Saikat Chakrabarti, a how-do-you-change-the-entire-economy plan. And it's a plan that will inflict vast pain on the American people, if our current experiment in central planning and total economic shutdown is any indication. In a continuing series of left-progressive interest groups following ex-Obama White House Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel's maxim, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste, Consider now the government worker labor unions and the states whose governments their political contributions and professional political machines have effectively bought. Looking at you, Illinois. They are begging the federal government for a massive bailout of their pension funds, citing, of course, the economic damage from the coronavirus and the government response to it. The boldest begging thus far has come from Illinois State Senate President Don Harmon, a Democrat from the Chicago suburb of Oak Park, who has received nearly $1.5 million in campaign contributions from labor unions in his decade-and-a-half-long electoral career. He demanded that Congress, that is, the other 49 states, hand his basket case of a polity $10 billion just to shore up the state's government worker pensions as part of a broader $40 billion bailout. Government worker unions like the Chicago Teachers Union, AFSCME Council 31, and the Illinois Education Association are key cogs in the Illinois liberal machine that keeps politicians like Harmon in power. They are so powerful that bipartisan reforms to pensions offered in the early 2010s were overturned by the state Supreme Court, controlled, naturally, by left progressive justices, who found that the state's unfulfilled pension promises were effectively unalterable. Illinois is hardly alone. 
Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York, among others, are also holding out the hat, seeking to force the country to bail out their unfulfilled promises to the government worker union bosses who all but control their state governments. And following the tactics of the Illinois machine man Rahm Emanuel himself, they're trying to prevent the crisis from going to waste. It was a provocative claim. Contrary to 80 years of American conservative approaches, there exists, quote, a prudential conservative case for granting legal privileges to private sector labor unions and collective bargaining. But the argument by political scientist James Rogers that labor unions should be empowered to redistribute the economic rents, that is, excess gains to businesses obtained not from the market economy, but from government privileges, from capital to labor as a second-best solution to crony capitalism, falls on the same grounds on which Rogers makes it. It ignores the nature of the entities involved. Rogers argues that the first best solution to economic rents, that is, getting rid of crony capitalism, is impossible to achieve in contemporary politics. This is, regrettably, probably true. See most recently reports of surging business among K Street lobbyists from companies and business leagues seeking consideration in the coronavirus bailout binge. The thesis, in Rogers' own words, goes like this. Quote, By creating legally privileged labor unions, owners of protected firms would have to share at least some of their economic profits, that is, economic rents, with their employees. Given that businesses shouldn't be enjoying government-created economic profits to begin with, there's no harm in developing institutions such as labor unions as a second-best adaptation to the existence of crony capitalism. Unions result in the distribution of some economic profit to workers in those businesses rather than allowing the owners to keep all of it. But, since this argument is supposed to take into account the realities of politics, does it? Because the observed experience of big labor shows that there is harm in empowering monopoly representative labor organizations and collective bargaining. Indeed, labor unions themselves are powerful advocates not just for reallocating existing economic rents, but also for increasing the amount of aggregate economic rents in the economy, splitting the gains with their bosses at the expense of consumers, suppliers, and other economic actors. Ride-sharing companies are a major target of big labor, which has pushed cities to ban services like Uber and Lyft. The winners? Unionized taxi drivers and their bosses, who gain economic rents from their hold on government monopoly medallion licenses. Airbnb, which lets people rent out rooms or homes as temporary lodging, has been a target of the Hotel Workers Union Unite Here, and the owners of conventional hotels who want to preserve their market share and economic rents from travelers' lodging. And in perhaps the most egregious case, the unions representing American national sailors and the U.S. flag shipping companies that employ them lobby to preserve economic rents they gain from the Jones Act, even as the higher shipping costs, major logistical problems, and lack of supply strangles the economies of Puerto Rico, the other insular territories not exempt from the Jones Act, and the non-contiguous states of Alaska and Hawaii. So, Rogers' argument fails. In a world without unions' extensive political and lobbying operations, granting labor unions collective bargaining rights might be a second-best solution to government-provided economic rents to business. But we do not live in that world, any more than we live in a world without extensive corporatism and crony capitalism. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.